Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to How to Cope. Every episode, writer Becky Howard, that's me, and my friend psychotherapist Lucy Clyde will be talking about how we can look after our mental health during the coronavirus crisis and beyond. Because whatever type of pandemic you're having, it's hard on all of us. So let's try and get through it the best way we can by talking. This episode, our guest is writer and presenter Damien Barr. Lucy, we've made it through the um, 427 days of January. All it was each and every last second of those <laughs> I felt them all. Every si- I know, I know. I, 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 I think I've aged in dog years. But it does, I have to say, um, whereas it didn't feel like this 30 days ago, I do slightly feel like we might be getting there a bit. Oh, I'm, I'm, I know, I know. Da- danger. I'm experiencing dangerous flickerings of tiny that's levels dangerous. of That's dangerous. That's called optimism, Lucy. I know, I know, I know. You would have thought I'd learnt by now. <laughs> no, I, I know what you're saying. There's, there's, there's little, there are little shards of hope in the news. If you avoid all the doom and gloom, yeah. um, you do kind of start thinking vaccination programme and that's all, that's all exciting. Yeah. It is um, exciting. Um, you know, and I think all of our parents now have had our, their first jab. They have, uh, and it's, which is, so amazing it's amazing and because i'm i'm healthcare i i'm getting mine soon i'm getting my first jab really soon and i'm very excited about it hooray 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 hooray. i know it's good i will report back (laughs) on just how smug that leaves me feeling on a scale of one yes good good (laughs) i'd like a a, you know a deep dive into the level of smuggery As you walk around, yeah, how nauseatingly smug I have become. You, we can keep a close track on that. That'll be fun for both of us. Mm. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so tonight we are speaking to a really exciting guest. Mm. Um, on his website, he's got a little kind of strap line that says "Books, Salons, and Stories," which I think describes him really well. Because um, it's Damien Barr. Yes, which yes. is amazing. Um, it is amazing. It's very, very exciting. Shall I read out my little intro about Damien yes. that I've prepared? Yes. I've prepared yes. earlier. <laughs> okay. So, so professional. Um, I am so professional. Okay, so he's yeah. a writer, author, broadcaster, campaigner and host. Um, and he started off as a journalist. Um, and over the past 15 years, he's really established himself as one of the best connected people in publishing. Running his literary salons, which have seen authors like Armstead Morpin, Tracy Thorne and Adam Kay talk about their writing. He's the host of the Big Scottish Book Club for the BBC, um, which returned for a second series last year um, during lockdown, which was great. I watched a few episodes. It was awesome. And he's also a writer himself. Um, His memoir, Maggie and Me, described with heart and wit what it was like to grow up gay in a chaotic childhood in Scotland. And his first novel, You Will Be Safe Here, came out in 2019 and was named as a book of the year in many of the big broadsheets. Um, And not only that, but last year, um, he also found time to finish his PhD and be made a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, the RSA, um, which kind of puts our starting a podcast achievement <laughs> to a bit of shame. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I was feeling like we were doing really well. And now I'm thinking... <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm, where's your I'm, fellowship, Lucy? Yeah, I don't. I'm no fellowship, no PhD, no none of that. None, of, no, no, no. I mean, I've barely been able to read a book since this whole delightful thing started you know since the, the crisis mm. started so oh it is you know very very clearly incredibly accomplished bright man you know, yeah. be really interesting talking to him i'm really looking forward to it Hello. Hi. A massive surprise there. Like, <laughs> Hi, Becky. Hi, Lucy. Um, Lucy, what kind of Hi, cave are you in? What is this tent that you're in? <laughs> what is that? We have to explain ourselves, yeah. don't we? Well, are you in a sound cube, Becky? Be- oh. Becky's in a Becky's in a Becky's in a suitcase cupboard. <laughs> With with panels, with some proper panels. panels stuck to it. Yeah. So and and in and in this is my you know my most twenty twenty construction. It's a laundry area with a duvet um, over it, and I'm on the floor. Uh, and and this is what we do to try and muffle the sound a bit so it doesn't uh, sound too echoey. Very good. I mean, when I I normally would sort of surround myself with pillows and cushions, but I can if you want me to. No, 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 because this way, this way, we get to see a very lovely interior. Okay. Uh, which is really nice because it's like you had the added benefits of a bit of a snoop as well. Oh, I enjoy that. It's really nice for us. What you can't see out of short is that, that still there, I've just not that long moved house, so that's not unpacked yet. That's, oh. that's killed. Um, and there's some more books over there. But I can see that you have unpacked quite a lot of books no, or probably books that's probably not a lot no 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 i bet it's not all your books by any means. that's about that's yeah. about a tenth <laughs> of the books in this house <laughs> so are you in brighton still damien yes pretty much so is that is that um being near the sea is that helping because we we keep speaking to people who are kind of near the open water and we're wildly jealous oh, yeah um be, i think definitely um being near the sea is are expansive it makes you look out and it gives you a sense of perspective but really the thing is because of that everybody else goes there and not everybody mm. goes to the distance so it can be quite stressful going for a walk on the seafront can actually perversely be quite stressful because of the lack of social distancing okay. that happens there i mean it's the same in you know our local parks or anywhere we're really two of you are you in london yeah yeah we're in in finchley in north london right, okay. so it's literally, you know, it's it's packed. All the green spaces are packed because we're all desperately trying to get out and, and have our have our time away from our homes. Yeah. So thank you so 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 much for um for coming on. It's it's a it's a real pleasure and I'm a massive fan of your writing anyway. Thank you. Um so I'm gonna try and not sort of segue too much into yeah, don't want to talking say, about your books. Like, you know, we, I think we could probably both sit here and ask you about, you know, about your books, but we wanna talk about <laughs> other things. We're gonna try and stay on oh. message. We're gonna try and stay on the whole mental health <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. We may, we may. Um, um, Obviously, right, right now, you know, we're we're speaking. We've got to February, which is brilliant, but we are in the middle of probably what is the toughest period, and I don't think any of us thought this would be the case when we were in the first lockdown, Mm. and we thought that was the tough one. Mm. Um, And people are really struggling right now. It really seems, just from the noise you see on social media and from when you talk to people, that it is a supremely tough period right now. Mm. Is that something you're also experiencing? And if so, how are you kind of getting through? Yes, is the very short answer to that. And the very long answer to that is, yeah, <laughs> it's like as long as January, the answer is, not, there's never been a month as long as January. There were how many? It was like the French revolutionary calendar. There were about 58,000 January in January. Um, I've never hated a month so much in my whole fucking life as January 2021. And I thought that January, I thought, you know, 2020 had some months in it. But anyway, um so no, as you can tell, I am I am finding it hard. I think like a lot of people, 
um, really struggling. And I think there are a number of reasons for that that are, you know, in, in my writing, I'm very often talking about the individual, the family, the community, the country, these kind of layers of, of contact, because we all move between those layers in our daily lives and they all have an impact. So the government decides something that impacts your family, your family behave in a certain way that impacts you. And it's reflexive. And I think that now, um, a year on, because it's pretty much a year now, yeah. starting to go through these lockdowns, um, I think for me, I, I characterise myself as a as broadly as an extrovert, but I, I I've come to realise that's not quite as straightforward uh, a term. So I, I'm really missing spontaneous, easy, unplanned, uninfectious interactions with my friends and family. Um, I'm really missing, you know, just bumping into somebody when you're in the supermarket or saying, it's nice, shall we go, the sun's setting beautifully, can, can we meet on the beach in 15 minutes and and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm missing unscheduled, unplanned interactions. I'm really bored of scheduling everything. I'm really bored of talking about what we're having for breakfast, lunch and dinner. I'm really bored of trying to book in you know, supermarket deliveries, which I know is a luxury to be able to get your stuff delivered and not have to go to the supermarket. In fact, to be able to afford to get your shopping is a luxury. And I'm aware of that, particularly having had the childhood that I had, but I'm just really done with the the admin of life and the lack of variety about it. And also, you know, a lot of my work is with uh, audiences, whether that's live, yeah. events, like at my salon or yeah. stage, or whether that's, um, or, you know, I've, record, I've recorded now three TV series mm. in lockdown from home or in a studio environment where the crew were brilliant and the guests were brilliant. And, it, you know, and actually people I think at home didn't notice that there wasn't an audience there, but I noticed there wasn't an audience. Yeah. There. Yeah, and, um, it's a totally so, different thing. It's a totally different thing, and and um, so uh, I I think for me personally, you know, I, I definitely found this lockdown harder. I think the first one there was a sense of novelty. What is a lockdown? It's new. I remember when I heard the term lockdown for the first time. Are we getting locked down? I thought well, I've never heard this term. So yeah, how does that work? Yeah, yeah, what is it? What is it? You know, and so there yeah. was a lot of novelty, and there was a new, terrifying newness about it. And there was also, I think, because of the mismanagement of, of the government, there was a sense that it would all be over relatively soon if we just yeah. behaved. Um, and I think that what we're seeing now is these constantly shifting goalposts again because of you know largely I think because of government mismanagement you know Boris Johnson's more interested in being popular than he is in doing what's right and what's necessary and so he's been yeah he's been really exposed on that front incredibly horrifically and yet he can't see that for himself you know so you wonder what it would take for him to look in the mirror and go I have failed a hundred thousand people have died you know so and I think there's also cumulative grief that we're now experiencing um, which, uh, you know, if you think 100,000 people have died needlessly and, for, you know, how many people are left behind? I don't know, 10 people at least from each person. That's a million people, a minimum, that are grieving in this country. Thinking about that mm. and processing it, it can pull you really down, can't you, if, if you if you obviously get into that too much every day because it's just unbelievable and just unbelievably sad to think but about what's unfolding. I, I I agree with you, of course it is. And I think it's not just the deaths, it's the people who've suffered and recovered, but lost yeah. their health and their ability to work, their ability to be with their children, to exercise, to live the life that they lived before. They're grieving a life yeah. lost, not a death, which is a different mm-hmm. thing. You know, I uh, graduated from my PhD last year. I didn't go to get to go and graduate from my, from my PhD. It's not the end of the world my birthday was in lockdown it's not the end of the world but there's an accumulation of lost living not just lost lives but lost living that we can never get back so i think so i think it's very important to be honest about that uh, and not try and minimize it which i definitely tried to do at the beginning of it um um but also at the other side of it not to sort of catastrophize and be like oh my god the world's over i think it's different a little bit different and it's interesting watching people watch It's a Sin because, you know, if you're a queer mm-hmm. person 
you know, you were and you were alive in the eighties and nineties. You were affected by the AIDS pandemic, yeah. uh, and, and of course, everybody who was around then was affected. But that was that my community was particularly affected and particularly affected by homophobia. So there was but that the conversations too. at the moment, I think, are, have 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 been, or certainly at the beginning of this crisis, were really interesting because they they really ignored that. Like there was this idea that this is the first pandemic that we've lived mm-hmm. through and that is just not true it's i was furious it, it's, it's totally was annihilated furious. a huge range yeah. of experience and fear and yeah. yeah it was very very difficult to and, watch and survival, and survival. A fear and survival yeah. the stri- you know i just sort of think god you know if the government had looked at the lessons of yeah. aids and had maybe spoken to the community survivors and those left behind and the, you know they maybe could have learned some lessons, and um, and I found that that was just another death of all, just another you know it's LGBT History Month uh, this month, and I and I think it's really important these yes. stories are told so that we understand and we all benefit from from that shared history. So lockdown number three is definitely harder than one or two because it's cumulative. There's also less yep. support and less co- less less adherence to the mm. rules. You know, number one, you can hear the birds. You can't hear the birds now because you can hear cars because people are still having to go about their yeah. lives. Not oh, God, yeah. yeah. God, yeah. It's like, it's, it's like how you said at, at the um, referencing back to the beginning of how there was a sense of novelty. Mm. And Lucy and I talked about that at the time. Um, and as we were sort of going through these different stages, that sense that there was this a manic energy mm. where we were all in a state of collective shock, of like what the hell is happening? How is the world just shut down? How is this even possible? You know, we, we couldn't get our heads around it. Mm. And so we had all this energy and we put it all these different places. We, we tried to kind of connect with our friends on Zoom all the time. Mm. You know, it was hectic. We were, we were kind of trying to replace our lives, weren't we, in in yes, the new yes. net yeah. way. Yeah, but they weren't, it wasn't a new life. It was just like we were trying to keep the yeah, old life going. Yeah, we tried to import it, which was, was a big mistake. <laughs> it was a really, really, really big mistake. It's like, yay, let's just carry on as though nothing's happening. And then, of course, guess what? Everyone burns out and... Well, I I think of um I think of Wiley Coyote in the 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 cartoon hands yeah. off the cliff and his legs are spinning in the air and for a while he stays in the air and then yeah. he just inexorably yeah. falls to the yeah. ground and I think lockdown three is very much the bottom of the oh, canyon. Man, I do I tell you what I hope so because <laughs> if we're at the bottom now that means we can get back you know it's time to start getting back out up and this is you know this is yeah. so how are you coping then extrovert you how mm. are you doing what what are you doing how are you dealing with this I mean I've actually never been busier um in terms of work um you know I do a couple of things so I'm, I'm a writer um I write novels and, and memoirs and, and scripts I run my literary salon there's a team mm-hmm. of eight of us brilliant women um who run live events and also events online we'll talk about that in a minute and then I you know and then I, I, I present uh tv programs um and what links all of those is stories. So I'm either making writing stories or telling other people's stories or, or trying to get their stories across, whether that's their personal stories or whether that's their um, uh, uh, stories they've written. So I was on book tour in South Africa, which is where my most recent book is set, and I got one of the last flights out of South Africa to the UK. And I noticed that wow. during my book tour, I was in Australia and New Zealand, the audience has got, you know, thinner yeah. and I thought either what's getting out of that I'm rubbish or something's going <laughs> on. Here. And so the audience is getting thinner. People stop shaking hands, yeah. people stop coming to the signing table, you know, and I when you're on book tour, you're in a wee bubble. And I had not quite twigged how serious what was happening really was. And my husband was like, You've got to get home, you've got to get home, you've got to get home. And so, you know, I got home on that second to last flight, um, and the airport was mad. People were like desperate to get on the plane. And um, I got back and he picked me up at the airport and the airport was really quiet and the roads were, there was this kind of like expectant weirdness and then I watched the news and, and it all just, you know, and I, and I said, I was like, we've got about two days, I think, before something drastic happens here. Um, and I, I was like, we need to get cash out of the bank in case we need cash for some reason. We need to make sure that we've got some painkillers in case one of us has an accident and we can't get to a doctor. Um, you know, I went into full on child, child abuse yes, family. Absolutely. Kind of, you know, yeah. You know, 
and I was like, this is what we have to do. Um, and um, and also probably watching too many zombie films on, on Netflix. This is more <laughs> lockdown. So, you know, so, so you know, I, I, I got back just in time. And on the plane on the way over, I thought, God, if people are going to be locked down, they're going to be bored. They're going to want to reach out. And I came up with the idea for this TV show called Shelf Isolation, where yes. I see people who are in their homes. So, and I'm doing another series of that next week. So, like, I'm interviewing Douglas Stewart, Lorraine Kelly, um, Ian Rankin, and I'm interviewing them about the films and TV programs and and whatnot that are getting them. That's a lovely. That Actually, lovely. I have to say that that's that. There's a kind of sub little little genre that has sprung mm-hmm. up through lockdown of kind of you know necessity is the mother of invention right so so programs like yours like shelf isolation there was another great one which was um mark kermode and mm-hmm. uh oh gosh i can't remember his name the other guy the other presenter who's doing a, a film yeah. a movie program all all kind of done under those lockdown circumstances and the, obviously the grace and perry art club as well oh, oh, I, love that. I love that i love that which is so inspirational i've been pissing so, i've seen my husband is a an artist. He's a ceramicist, and a, and and he and he also draws. and And um and I, he, I, we've always sort of joked, you know, how terrible I am at these things. And I might make a Christmas card or something. I haven't done it for years. <laughs> I mean, since school, where I was put off it. And um and he sat me down, and I, you know, to my amazement, drew a football where my bananas looked like bananas, and it was amazing <laughs> to me. It's since drawn a plant in a teapot, and I'm totally enjoying it. And it, it's a state of flow that I associate with yeah. writing when writing is going well. Time just goes by. Uh, you're totally absorbed in it. You're not thinking about anything else around you, and and that actually has been a joy mm. for me to do because it's taking me right out of this world and into another. Yes, world. I'm finding it weirdly for me for the first time in my whole life. I'm finding it hard to read. I have very little patience. I mean, I that's read so interesting. Me too. That's, me too. That was what question I had actually because. I, I, I wondered if that had affected you in, in that way because that was something that I, I noticed was a big thing, mm. certainly when lockdown first happened, mm. where people, I think it was the shock, it was whatever stress we were kind of processing meant we couldn't do that leap of faith where we go into another world in a book, mm. which is one of the, um, you know, the, the joys of reading is, is, is escape, isn't it? Mm. And I definitely had that. However, I'm, I'm now kind of back into my novel reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you, you're saying that you still can't kind of go there. Is well, that no, right? I, I did. I, I, this weekend read two novels, um, having not read anything for a couple of weeks. Um, and I'm reading, one was a reread from my teens, a book called The Pig Man by Paul Zendel, which is all about a boy and a girl who kind of outsiders and friends at school. And then I read uh, Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss, which is terrifying and brutal and like the worst episodes of Time Team ever, but really good <laughs> and dark and horrible. And um, um, and and I read both of those very quickly. Um, I think what I'm realizing is is that I have been rereading, but I've also it's the leap of faith you got mm. it right when you said leap of faith, Becky. I think the thing about our lives right now, or my life anyway, I'll own that is that it feels very risky. Everything feels very you're weighing risk yeah. all the time. You're calculating risk all the time. And if, you know, and if a, a risk you can avoid is the risk of being having to deal with a shit novel, <laughs> then you know, then, then, then why not minimise that risk? You know, so so um, so you know, it's a law of a thousand small. So it's games. disappointment so management. Been, <laughs> is what you're doing. I've, I've also been eating the same foods. Like I've eaten much more of the foods that I find yeah. comforting. Where I'm not like I'm not into like trying new recipes. I can't deal with any more. Like you know. Disappointment, trauma. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, yes, fish fingers and chips is what I will have tonight, and I will enjoy it, and it will oh, be delicious. Lovely. Um, and so, so, so that, and I've gone back into therapy, which has been, um, which has been, I think, an amazing. She's, I mean, the new therapy. Are you doing that online? Can um, I ask? Are you doing? Doing, yeah, it, on doing it on the phone. Obviously, I'm always, always delighted when uh, to hear when people have gone back into therapy because it feels like such a healthy thing to do particularly right now it's a win for your profession <laughs> you're like yes. well and i hope i hope for the people who are doing it you know i hope for i hope for, hope for you yeah. actually well i'm reminded i'm reminded by my therapist that it's a you know a dialogue it's yeah. a two-way process and i was i went into it in a state of kind of you know i had some you know, really bad experiences of um of online bullying and, and harassment and then went offline and it was kind of really grim last summer 
and um, and I needed a place to go to explore all of that and talk about all of it. And I hadn't been in therapy for a while, and I just knew it was like right, you know, my world, the people around me who I would normally see, I can't see. Um, even talking to them on the phone somehow isn't enough. I need that space, that neutral, non-judgmental, uh, qualified expert listening and somebody who's kind of feeding back. So, yeah, and it's interesting. I've never done therapy on the phone before and I've no interest whatsoever in doing Zoom okay. with her. Um, okay. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to see her. And I don't think she wants to see me. Um, and also I've noticed that I feel more able to cry in therapy when I can't yeah. be seen which is an interesting which, thing because I always which, thought I wasn't shamed of being of crying but I, it's just and I think it's interesting and I talked about uh, early you made that illusion that your extroversion isn't quite as straightforward as you'd thought uh, mm, and, no, it's not. and which is often the case I mean you know I think Becky and I are both on the introvert side but that's not as straightforward as either of us thought either so um exactly yeah but that. i think but i think what's really interesting is for some people uh we can only cry with somebody but quite a lot of us actually can only cry when we can't when we aren't seen when we aren't witnessed because it feels too exposing yeah. and too vulnerable making and you know there's a part of us that's always watching the other's response but see the thing is i will happily cry uh, at an event where i'm interviewing somebody if I'm moved to tears by what they're telling me or they're reading or something like that, it, 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 that I guess is in response yeah, to somebody it's else. It's a relating thing. It's not, the risk yeah. there is not involved for me. So, but anyway, also, there's the thing about Zoom. If you're crying on Zoom, you can see yourself. Oh, God. But if you're doing it in real life. God. <laughs> and that's, yeah. No, and, and so I'm, I can totally understand why if you're going to be vulnerable with someone and you're going to have a, a really good therapy session, you kind of don't want to be distracted by your face doing your face things. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it like that. You're absolutely right. I've, I think what I really, yeah, I've no interest in seeing me is the real mm. thing. I think because I'm having to spend more time on Zoom um, and, you know, part of my work is presenting on a camera. I, I'm not a person who, uh, you know, I, I, I don't enjoy that experience. Um, uh, so I really, you know, double doubly not thrilled about it if I'm sitting there greeting my eyes out on Zoom. I mean, I'm sure she'd be fine about it. But um, but mm. going back into therapy was a, a necessary uh, moment um, and definitely has been really helpful um, for me. And I'll continue with that. But I mean, I've been in and out of therapy my whole life. You know, I was working out the other day um, how many months of my life have I actually spent in therapy? You know, what, once or twice a week, all the way through university, then again, my postgraduate year, and then again, about five years later. And then, I, you know, and I'm just like, it's good, you know, and because people often say to me, they're like, oh, you're very productive and you seem happy. Oh, what, you know, what's going on? And I'm like, well, the thing is like, I know when I need help. I've always mm -hmm. known that. Um, I've not always had help. I've not always known how to ask for it, but I have always known, I think growing up in a house, in a street, in a place that's where people are having a hard time and, hard time with drink, hard time with drugs, a lot of violence, you know, a lot of moments before I even finished school where I could just have been killed. And I think to myself, well, I didn't, I couldn't always get help then, but I did always know what I didn't want my life to be um, or where I didn't want to end up. And so I've always had that sense of feeling like I can ask for help. Uh, it's a self-awareness. And now it's therapy, so... It's a yeah. self-awareness that's that you're, you know, obviously you're not able to always go, I, I can sort this out myself. That's that's not what it's about. It's about understanding and being able to recognise yourself, isn't it? And and go, okay, I could actually do with some external help here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't do my own accounts. There's no way I would try to do my own accounts. <laughs> no. Why would I try to do my own emotional accounting? No. Like, I literally can't do that. I do but, need help to, do, to get that. And I think everybody deserves that. And also, that I mean, to be, you know, a, a phrase I use a lot at work is that even therapists have therapists because, you know, of none of us do. Can, can do this on our own. You know, none of us can do it. It's a really nice phrase, emotional accounting. You know, none of us can do that on our own. And, and that's not how we're wired. We shouldn't have to. And I think that's one of the kind of immense challenges of, of, of lockdown is it's just, you know, we've all been effectively quite abandoned by each other, you know, in real time mm. and in real life. And that's an intensely 
stressful, awful situation. And it's particularly, I suspect, intensely stressful and awful for people for whom that's replaying something. We've had experiences of abandonment or emotional neglect. And it's, it... I think, I think, I think that I've definitely connected those dots in, in my head and had to kind of work that through. Um, but I think though what's also interesting is that, you know, this is not the worst thing to happen to me in my life. And for many people it is, you know, um, it's the it's not my first pandemic and it's not the worst thing to happen. And so I know from my past experiences of survival and my own understanding of resilience that I will get through this and that in fact there is something to be taken from it that that may or may not have revealed itself yet that is good or that I can make good from it because I have done that my whole life you know I took my childhood and turned it into my memoir and you know uh and also into my novel you know my childhood is very much in my novel although it's set in South Africa and it's a very different world it's all about mothers and sons mm -hmm. and survival and and um so you know so I, I don't yet know what that is uh, I'm very weary and weary of Pollyanna-ish, you know, uh, lessons about, you know, it's, you know, like people who say, you know, what Shakespeare wrote Richard III during a play or whatever, and I'm like, <laughs> ah, shut up, shut up, you know, just shut up. Um, I wrote, I, I wrote an article about that at the beginning of lockdown, but then I did, I, I did a tweet at the beginning of the first lockdown, which has been, which has gone mad, where I said, you know, we're not. I got really sick of the. Oh, it's, is this your boat tweet? Yeah. Is this your storm tweet? Yes. Go on, t repeat it, repeat it. Again. So we're not, we we're not all in the same boat. We're all in the yeah. same storm. And some of us are, you know, some of us are on luxury yachts and some of us have just got one oar. I mean, that quote has gone around the world. Like, it, you know, C the BBC, CNN, every newspaper, every newspaper in India, every newspaper in China, Oprah's Super Soul podcast she was talking about it. The chief wow. rabbi has talked about. I mean, I mean, and it, it's really strange that this thing that I just tweeted is just taking on this life of its own. And what I think is interesting about it, and the reason I think people connect with it so much, is that they, they it shows to me the experience of inequalities is, is, is everywhere. You know, every every everybody feels overwhelmed by the storm, and everybody sees whether they're experiencing it or not. They see tend to see inequality. So, yeah, it's it's been bonkers seeing it and then of course there's also it's also it's attributed to a poem I didn't write a poem there is a poem out there that people say I wrote I didn't write the poem um, but I did do the tweet and the tweet has just become this like, tote bags t-shirts <laughs> you know I mean I'm not even joking well, it's like we merchandise we used it a lot bonkers. I mean me and Becky we used it a lot yeah. and we, were, <laughs> we, were, yeah, we <laughs> said same storm different boats and it became like shorthand so yeah. you know whenever when when people would ask you that stupid no, not stupid question but we were well meaning we said so how are you you know uh, you know yeah. my default was well you know same storm different boats because there's no other way yeah. of, and you don't want to go fine and as you say it was so yeah. good at encapsulating it, was. it wasn't it, it the whole shared experience but it's a different shared experience um and actually that you've you've kind of gone on to the whole sort of social mm. media thing which is something i did want to ask you about a lot because you're 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 really active on on twitter mm. um i don't know about other platforms because I'm, I'm just a sort of twitter user myself but i know that you know our our collective relationship with social media has become quite febrile in the past year i mean yeah. it was always quite a you know it can be quite a difficult space sometimes but I think because of the pandemic and because of all our emotions swirling around and all these frustrations and all these feelings we're feeling, we, we can't connect in the way we used to. Mm. A lot of that is going into how people are using social media. Yeah. And I wanted to really ask you, what do you find it's been a different space in the past year or how has your relationship to it changed at all, if, if at all? Um, it's a good question because I mean, my relationship to it has definitely changed. Um, and I think that, but I also do think it has changed. Um, so it's a dynamic process. So I think that, I mean, way back when, when I first used Twitter, I think you got the vibe of, oh, we're all down the pub, we're all talking, it's fun, it's sharing, it's jokes and, and whatever. And it was, uh -huh. you know, if people were there, they were in the, they were in the same pub as you and they had the same you know, values as you and they sort of weren't going to glass you. Whereas now you're just, sometimes you're like, oh my God, have I wandered into like the mm. worst 
is it like an accidental Nazi convention that I've am I is this an, or is this an is this raw dolls the witches like and you're all yeah. unmasked and what's going on? Yeah. So I I think that it's it's you know it, it's changed in that way. Um, it's sort of lost whatever innocence it had. But the problem with the Twitter, of course, is that rage is commodified. And there has been so oh, much man. rage in the past year. Some of it really justified. People furious that they're self-employed and they haven't had support payments. People who are furious yeah. about, you know, the, the the lack of funding for the NHS. People who are furious, rightly, about transphobia. So I think that there's been a lot of anger. And I think that the internet is, really for some people, Twitter's the only place they've got to express it. I think what might be therapeutic for them is abusive for somebody else. Um, this is it, isn't it? Yeah. Back from it. I, I, I took, I think, two or three months off social media last summer. Okay. Um, at all platforms and really rethought my relationship with, like I think, why am I sharing this thought with strangers? Why am I asking okay. strangers or telling strangers what I think? Shouldn't I be telling a friend? Shouldn't I be telling my therapist? Should I even be acknowledging this thought? Is it valuable? Is it interesting? Is it helpful? You know, I was kind of like putting a filter on stuff that previously had been unfiltered. And um, and I, I and I've changed my relationship with it. So I remain active on there. Um, but I but I've supplemented it by spending more time on the actual phone which i know a lot of people find terrifying but actual phone calls I'm like, oh, I, I, think don't, like, yeah. I don't want to have a discussion with somebody where i'm constantly messaging i want to pick up the phone and so i started it's a new rule i have as well with with, mm. with friends um, text where i'm like if we're exchanging more than two or three texts i'm just going to pick up the phone and i know people are like oh my god that's a hate crime <laughs> but actually I, I love it i love it and i love the chat and i and so i've done i've spent much more time chatting and I found that to be, and that's so, you know, I've been more sociable that way. And um, and I now just absolutely, most of the time, it's not all the time, but most of the time, you know, those people who we call them trolls, but what they actually are is bullies, they're abusers. Um, I don't engage with them. So, like, I'm not going to change their mind because they're not interested in a discussion. They don't care what I think. Even if I agree with them, they don't care what I think, because they don't care about me as a person. And uh, so much of that has to do with shame uh, and and hatred. So I'm ju I just don't engage. I don't give them my energy. I just think if we were back in the old days of Twitter and it, or it was a pub, would I talk to you? No. Would I? No, I wouldn't. So, so, so I think my relationship to it has changed and I'm trying to evolve it. I mean, I have alerts on my phone so that it tells me if I've been on Twitter for 15 minutes. And then I can say, yeah, I want to stay on or I want to go off or, or, or whatever. So it's, so it's a slightly more kind of mindful or conscious use of it. Yeah. Because that's the problem I find with, with Twitter, with all of these platforms, is we've talked yeah. about it, haven't we, Lucy, of like often I've just found myself mindlessly scrolling yeah. and feeling worse. Yeah, because, you can't feel you know, better for you. You know, and you absorb a lot of people. People have got a lot of negative energy or you're seeing terrible, terrible news. Yeah, um, the terrible is just, news is yeah. really upsetting. And I, I think we need to think really carefully about, you know, when we choose to engage with social media. You know, um, I think, you know, it can't, it shouldn't be first thing in the morning. It can set your mood for the rest. If I wake up and see Pretty Patel's face first thing in the morning, that's <laughs> it for me. All the, the milk of human kindness curdles in my veins and I literally hate you spitting for the rest of the day and I just can't do it. So I just oh. have to be really careful. And I'm not saying I've got this right. I'm really not saying I've got it right. I'm trying all the time to be better at it. But, but um, it, you know, I've, I've definitely changed. I find Instagram friendlier and cozier and lovelier. Um, um, and I, I like that. And I, and, but I use Facebook and Twitter and Instagram for work. There's the salon is on there and I'm also on there. So, um, mm. one of the things that I've, that I love is hearing from readers. I love hearing from readers who get in touch with me, whatever platform they get in touch with me, telling me their story, telling me how, what they read made them mm. feel or how it changed their mind or it challenged them. I mean, I really don't want to hear from people who didn't like it, um, no. but, but people who did <laughs> like it, 
yeah. what would, what would be the that. point? I, I, I have a question to ask you. It sort of relates, you know, it relates a bit to your work and a bit to where we are now and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you were talking earlier about this business of, you know, you being on the plane and talking about, well, we need to get painkillers. I mean, and you went straight into full on emergency prep survival mm-hmm. thing, didn't mm-hmm. you? And that's yeah. such a, a such a trauma survivors thing. And one of the things I've been hearing a lot in work, because I, you know, I am I am still working, I'm a therapist, I'm still working. Uh, uh it is that Are you can I just ask you very quickly, are you working flat out? Like are you able to take on any more clients? That's not a hint. I've got a therapist, it's fine. <laughs> but I mean like are you overwhelmed? I, I, by I'm having to turn people down. But that must be so it's hard not, as a therapist. It's not great, but I mean, it's that thing about you have to have a balance. And there's only so, you know, I mean, it's therapist burnout is a real thing. And therapist burnout right now is a real thing. So there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff about how you weigh that up. Um, but one of the things I'm hearing is that from people who've um, experienced trauma, uh, the similar mm. and the same as the, the, the stuff that you write about and that you've experienced, is that actually there's this moment, there was this moment where people went, my whole life has prepared me for this moment. And while the rest of you are freaking out and you don't know what to do, guess yeah. what? I do. Because I've absolutely been prepared and I know how this goes. And this is how I feel all the time. And now you lot know. And this, this moment yeah. where for some people, where for yeah. some of us were thrown into horrible shock and some people, their insides and their outsides just matched beautifully. Uh, and and and, mm. and there was this sort of this feeling of feeling uniquely well equipped to deal with and to understand and to cope. This kind of sense of innate resilience. And I'm wondering if that chimes with I you think, particularly. How it chimes with me? Um, it does. I mean, completely. Like I, I um, like I said, you know, it's not it's not my first pandemic. No. And it's not my first trauma. And um, um, and I'm, that's not to minimise it. I'm, I really wish this wasn't happening for me and for everybody else, and it's horrible, and it's been made more horrible by by the government. But um, but yeah, I mean, I I was it was like it was like um, like the key just just all keyed, you know, and it was just like right, okay. I mean, you know, PTSD is something that I've managed my whole life, and um, I'm very aware of of what the symptoms are in my body and my mind and how they're connected and. I'm able to look at outside myself and be like, right, you know, this, you know, trauma's driving the bus. This is not good. You know, we need to stop. And and with 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 this, um, it, it was both my childhood and it was both also my experience mm-hmm. of, of the AIDS crisis. And um, and it's interesting, isn't it, that my I had no expectation that the government would take care of people. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I. I I was just like, yeah, you know, how many years of gay men dying before the government did anything? Um, and, um, you know, I, 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 so yeah, so I, 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 I kind of, you know, I got my little emergency box, you know, which I could, which is over there. I don't know where it is, you know, and it was put in a backpack and it's got, you know, all the things in that you might need if you have to leave your house, if the government closes down your area, I checked in with everybody on the phone. I made sure that everybody I knew had their phones charged. You know, um, you know, I was uh, making sure that people who I knew were vulnerable had some kind of care plan in place. And and so, um, yeah, I I knew what to do. I didn't know the mechanics of this illness or or stuff, but I I, I did. And also, there was something depressing about that. There was something depressing about that where I was just like, ah, oh. it was like, yeah, well that. You know, if I hadn't had all this happen, I wouldn't be ready for this. But, you know, uh, uh, um, I also thought, right, well, there's a benefit to it. Um, mm. that I know that. And I wanted to share that experience with people. Um, you know, that's 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 the other thing, um, you know, of being kind to yourself um, and realising that trauma is like, and you know, and you you might not even know anybody who's died of COVID. You, you know, you might not even know anybody who's had it. But you're living in a country that is based in cortisol and stress and grief and trauma, and it's all around you all the time. And so uh, you're dealing with it, whether you're conscious of dealing with it or not. And it's like a laptop that, you know, where where it's just got too much to do, and it's whirring, and it's hot, 
and it's you're trying to open like all these different windows and it's like i'm just trying to do what i would do every day why isn't it working and you realize actually we right now we can only be deal with one or two windows i'm finding right now that i'm much happier if i work half days now i'm lucky mm. that i can do that and i'm lucky that i can work from home and i don't have to go out of my house and expose myself and my family to risk to be able to do that but i'm like i'm finding right now you know maybe half a day is oh if i can do more mm. great but I'm so tired. I mean, I'm sleeping the sleep of the dead right now. This is this yeah. is the 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 thing you were just saying is is spot on. The thing about the the we're kind of just absorbing this this stress from everywhere around, and we talked about it, didn't we, the other week? Lisa, this whole thing about toxic stress because it's it's when the stressor doesn't go, and the stressor is COVID, and the stressor has been in our lives now for for almost a year. Yeah. Um, and all the things that that's created and caused around us. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's it's incredibly difficult to remove ourselves from that situation. Um, and but I do I do find that there are sort of at the moment there are little sparks of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a lot more hope around in the first lockdown because I think we were we were naive. Well, I think the whole the, you know the whole approach was very naive from the government. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a lot more hope that you know everything would be fine in three months. Mm. Now, obviously, we, we do not have anything remotely um, like that approach. Mm. However, because of the vaccine program, mm. we're kind of getting these little moments of hope and a mm. bit of joy. Is that something that are you allowing yourself to think about the future, or are you allowing yourself to have those moments of hope? I have always lived in hope um, and I would not be here if I had not. And I always have and I continue to, you know, uh, plant stuff in my garden. Uh, I've, we're, we're planning the return of live events at the salon in September. You know, I'm, oh, I'm working on, you know, working on a new book that I think, yes, there will be bookshops. Yes, there will be people to read it. You know, so I, I, I very much... Uh, uh, I'm being very honest with you about how hard it is, um, but that doesn't mean that I'm also not working with a hope and, a, and a, an eye to the future. But what it's really made me do is think really clearly about my values and my time, where I want to spend my time, who I want to spend my time with, what values I want to uphold, what values in the world I want to challenge. People keep talking about, oh, you know, when we can get back to normal. We cannot, surely we can cannot want to get back to a situation where the NHS was so underfunded that this disease came along and reduced it um, almost to its knees. We cannot want to get back to a situation, you know, where our teachers are so undervalued and our schools are so underinvested in that they're unable to take care of children in this context, where children are going hungry. I was one of those children who would have been denied free school meals. I would have been hungry. Mm-hmm. Marcus Rashford would have literally put food in my belly. So, you know, we cannot think that it's right to go back to how we were. We need to move forward and, you know, I despise the war metaphors. I think they're totally inappropriate. But the one thing that is true about the war is that it was at the very darkest moment of the war that the welfare state was imagined and conceived and planned. I hear nothing from this government, which is about a post or coming out of COVID future, which is about restoration of a civic society, restoration of humanity to people who've been dehumanised by poverty and disenfranchised by inequality. You know, I I, I am not going back to to how things were. I mean, I'm not saying I've, you know, activism is a thing that I think we're all much more engaged in. And I think I'm going to continue to keep those values at the heart of, what what I do, whether that's who I'm spending time with, or whether that's you know where I'm where I'm devoting my work energy. But there's definitely lots of definitely lots of joy. I mean, I moved house during this time because I wanted to you know move to a slightly quieter bit of town. Um, I wanted to spend more time walking. I wanted to spend more time in nature. And that's an act of hope, actually, isn't it? That's a, that's a big act of hope because yeah. you're you're making plans mm. for your future mm-hmm. and you, the way you want it to to unfold. You want to spend more time out. You want to do all these things. So I, you make I it do, happen. But that's day to day. And that's what I've realised is, isn't it? Like, I think it's a friend of mine, a wonderful friend, Lauren in New York, who 
she had she had gone from New York to Florence to go to jewelry school. She got there. She was locked down in Florence. I mean, worst places to be locked down. But literally, her whole dream of like her whole life had been this thing, and she was locked down there for a year. And she got back to New York, and you know, and built a new and amazing life in a city that she was seeing with new eyes. But what she said to me was, you know, I think twenty twenty one is not about plans. It's about dreams. And I think, yeah. you know, and that's what I've really realised is, is that, you know, I, I can make loose plans, pencil things in very lightly, but plans, who makes plans? I think we can have dreams. I think we can dream of a fairer, more equal world. I think we can, you know, we can dream of these things and then, you know, we can start to do things that um, we can do day to day and then we can yeah. start think about bigger than that but I think if I was to sit down you know I couldn't sit down and book a holiday right now it would just be fallacious it'd be foolish it'd be mad you know? all right I have all right all right but I'm just saying I think if you fantasize but but do I mean last night my husband no, and I went I to bed I talking do. about we were like telling you you know this is the pillow talk now isn't it we were like do you remember that time we went to dinner in and we kind of yeah. went and we and we oh. made this menu for ourselves of all our favourite meals that we'd had. And so I, I think I think that I think that there's a, there's something that's I don't know one I'm not I'm so pragmatic, but I just think that we can hope and we can dream and we need that we need that mm. you know, that mm. that sense. Oh yes, you know spring is coming. Yes, winter is coming too. But you know spring is there first. Let's be present yeah. for it. I think what I'm trying to say is is that this year I've learned a value in and being present in a way that I hadn't before that's new for me actually that's new You're that's right. different that's exactly that's different. what actually I was about to ask you I was gonna I was gonna um wrap up by asking you what one thing have you learned about yourself through this and is is it the ability to be present or the value in being present I did not choose to be as present as I am, but I, through force, I've been forced to be still. I've never been so still. I've never not been on planes so much or in London so much. Or I've been forced to really think about the people around me, the objects around me, the house around me, the work, the thoughts, everything, um, and really look at them and appraise them um, and make some quite big changes. Um, but also, to you know, that thing of being present, you know, uh, of of being in that moment, whether that's not taking my phone out of my pocket on a walk or actually not taking my phone on a walk, um, or whether it's thinking, right, well, you know, I might or might not have a salon in six months, but I am doing a salon, you know, ne next week online with mm. these amazing people. Yeah. I'm going Which to is, yeah, that. enjoying I'm that. I'm enjoying that. that. Yeah. So I've, 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 I've got better at that. I've got much better at that, actually. And I don't want to lose that. When the world speeds up again and gets busier and we're all like, watching things at 64 times the normal speed i don't want to get sucked back into into the mega busy i want i want to be occupied and in flow i don't want to be frenetic and like chasing my own arse you know for who for what yeah. you know is that exactly. an adequate answer i'm not sure that that is an adequate answer i think answer, it's a very good answer i think it's about staying grounded i think it's about you know grounding yourself in the here and now for now and you know recognizing acknowledging which is all about acknowledging where we are right one of, i think one of the most freeing things you can do is name where you actually are not where you were not where you want to be but where you actually are because then you're informed and then you get to make the decision and that's just what you're doing is you're grounding yourself in the here and now and 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 doing that and i think it's a really i think i love your idea about uh you know not making plans but having dreams instead i think that's a beautiful way of equipping ourselves because well, I think we, we over schedule, we over plan, we over schedule, yep. we over plan, and we do it often as a way of stopping ourselves thinking about the dreams, yeah. the bigger things. You know, we get to the end of the day and we're like, oh, I haven't got time to think about, you know, whether I really want to live in this country or whether I really want to be with mm -hmm. this man or this woman or, you know, this person or whatever. And, I, I you know, I, I think that, I, I think that it's the difference, isn't it, between tactics and strategy, between you know, months and seasons. It's, you know, and I think if you can be present in the moment, you're able to be, um, you're able to, 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 to take things more gradually and to be able to look at the longer term without planning every second away. Yeah. Um, you know. Which is, which is, you know, I hate to say, I hate to say it's a silver lining because I think that can be reductive, but there are, there are going to be, and there are already some more positive side effects of this mm -hmm. 
Um, and we're like we were saying about the whole, you know, not going to go back to normal, back to normal in quotes. Yeah. There is no way that we all as individuals and as a society are not going to be changed in some way by this. Mm -hmm. And we don't actually know now. We know some of the changes. We can see some of them we might, might be able to identify already. But we don't know what these are going to look like in the long term. And I, I am really fascinated by how society shifts and change over time. And what you don't notice is happening. And then all of a sudden, oh, right, now, we, now we're like this. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be fascinating to see over the next, even like five to ten years, how much stuff will be able to go, yes. ah, well, that was because of, that started because of that pandemic. Mm. But, you know, and it could hopefully be, be some really valuable stuff, you know, to do with like inequality and, and bigger society stuff. If we let it, if we let it, I think the thing of, I think the pandemic is a catalyst uh, mm. and, um, and also an effect. It's an effect of our intrusion into the natural world. It's an effect of our inequality and all the rest of it. It's also a cause of more of, of those things. And so I think I think that, you know, we need to really um, like think what, you know, some people have been like, oh, I enjoy that the world is quieter. I enjoy that, you know, the air is cleaner for some people, you know, whatever. I, I think we need to think really carefully as, as we come out of this um, and also think yeah. about trauma. I think we have to think as a world, you know, we're, we're, we're yes. all going to have PTSD. It's a, P a world of PTSD. There's going to be yes. a lot of angry people, a lot of distressed people, yeah. a lot of grieving people. We cannot expect mm. so much. Um, and yet we're going to be called upon to give even more. Um, and, and I think that that needs a shared vision. You know whether that you know what is that after the war it was the welfare state what is it, what is it now I think yeah. it's a new civic pact I think it's a new it's a restoration of humanity um, worldwide and I think I think we could have that I mean would help if we had Jacinda we don't have Jacinda but we have to find our inner Jacinda how do we, we get Jacinda, Jacinda. Can we not borrow her uh, we really you know, do she's, she's alone. <laughs> You know, time share. Get time share. She's amazing. Oh. She's cheated me a couple of times and and and, and things like that. Wow. And I was in wow. a couple of years ago or in person. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Just <laughs> Jacinda and Dolly. It's like that's what we need. We need Jacinda and Dolly. Dolly. I uh, yes. I think. Nicholas. I think. You know. I think she's she's a woman for our time. If ever there was one. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And she, you know, the Dolly vaccine, the Dolly vaccine. She did, Diana, she did, she did, didn't she? Yeah. Did. I know, I know. Well, on that lovely positive note, thinking about <laughs> good people doing amazing yeah. things, um, I think it, it will wrap up. But yeah. I, I, I am so thank you so, so, so much for um, for coming on and being so honest mm. about your experience of this time, this insanely tricky and weird and everything time. Well, thank you for asking me such good questions and for being so thoughtful and I'm very conscious that normally in my life I'm I'm interviewer and I don't mm. talk so much about myself um um but that that's what you wanted we me to did, do so we did and it's, and it's brilliant <laughs> and fantastic and you know it's so important that we all share our stories and that we do it now and that yeah. we you know, we talk about the impact of this and the trauma and all of that stuff, uh, and that we that we do it now and we do it yeah. in real time because that will that will you know pay dividends. Yeah, I think what you're doing is is helpful for the people you're doing it with and the people who are so, listening. Um, so it's it's you. a good thing. Oh, it's, it's been an absolute joy. Thank, thank you so much. Right, I'm going to go and have fish fingers now. I am going to get fish fingers. I'm going to go get some fish fingers. You've really yeah. made me think about fish fingers now. All thank right. you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to How to Cope with Becky Howard and Lucy Clyde. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate them and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And tell your friends. Thanks for listening to How to Cope. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.